Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. And today we're going to be exploring the impact that Gen Z is having on the future of food and drink and what brands need to do to get ahead of these trends. To discuss this, I'm joined by Stephen Wallace, Master Chef Champion, Flavor Consultant and Stylus Advisory Strategist, and Mandy Saven, Stylus's own Head of Food, Beverage and Hospitality. So first of all, Mandy, can you tell us a little bit about this new cohort of Gen Z foodies, who they are and why are they so important for food and beverage brands to engage? Sure. I mean, so Gen Z is really the group that follows millennials. They're currently between 10 and 24 years of age, which means they're at school or they're at college. And they're really important for a few reasons. So Gen Z are going to comprise about two and a half billion individuals by 2020, which is going to make up about 33% of the global population. So it's a massive number that we're dealing with. And already their spending power is set at about $143 billion per annum. Um, So brands really need to care about this generation, and in particular food brands, because we know that 78% of their discretionary income is actually spent on food. They're big foodies. They love buying products. They love going to restaurants. And and this is, for them, sort of a a social and cultural currency um, as well as a leisure pursuit. Um, So, you know, despite their sort of youthful anchoring, this group is very influential and brands need to know all about them. So let's dig a little deeper into their tastes and food preferences. What's influencing them? So, um, well, at Stylus, for some time now, we've been really documenting the transformation of food culture. And there's been lots of um, macro factors that are really sort of seeing, basically marking a, a real fragmentation. So there's been a real blurring of boundaries, upending of rituals, and a deconstruction of sort of idealized traditions. Gen Z is um, growing up and really coming of age in this era of disruption, and they're really upending tradition. Um, They've basically got the keys to changing their lives and getting to a better place. What's part of this is they're they're digital natives, so they're fully integrated with technology, and they are ethnically the most diverse um, age group yet. So their diversity is going to continue to drive sort of cultural food trends um, that we already see, plus we're going to see new ones, and a real exploration of authentic global food experiences. Um, The impacts of this diversity will include sort of how they eat, so more exposure to global and particularly regional foods, how they communicate, so they're going to have more opportunity to be multilingual obviously from parents, because they're going to be from sort of multi-ethnic backgrounds. They're going to get along with others, so there's this wider um, need for acceptance, and and particularly how they shop, so everything is within the norm, and how they see the world, so there's fewer boundaries, and they're definitely moving away from us to, um, to them. So there's some um, unique um, food items we've seen that are really kind of coming into the fore. Um, A couple of them, sort of moon milk and bubble waffles, are really kind of exciting. What are they? So um, moon milk is actually, it's milk that's been steeped with... um, Ayurvedic adaptogenic herbs. So comes from the Ayurvedic tradition and it's herbs that sort of stimulate your 
your doshas or your energy levels, but through herbs. And Bubble Waffles started in Hong Kong, and they're these wonderful spherical, almost imagine uh, bubble wrap on steroids. And uh, they're, they're sort of filled with all sorts of things or covered in all sorts of sources, but hugely, um, hugely popular. Sounds amazing. Um, interestingly as well, I think one of the other things to look out for is that um, Gen Z are really kind of fascinated by watching videos of people eating um, and food tours. And I think one of the most interesting things I've seen is um, a show called Travel with a Goat, where um, a couple of people are paired up and they have to take an animal um, with them for four days. And then at the end of the four days, they have the, the dilemma of, do we kill the animal for food or do we not? Um, so things like that for them, these dilemmas where there's a real sort of moral um, essence are really key. Now, um, I'm not sure about bubble waffles, but certainly moon milk sounds like it's, a, it's quite a healthy thing. I mean, is, uh, are they making healthy choices, Gen Z, when it comes to this, this sort of food? Yes and no. <laughs> it's quite a complex state of affairs, um, their sort of mindset towards health. So on one instance, we've got health and wellness as a baseline. They're growing up with parents who are pro-health and pro-wellness, and they're keen to impart their knowledge onto their families and make sure that their families eat well and are active and sleep well and all of those types of things. And also classrooms today are really emphasizing a balanced diet. You know, your your nursery school or prep school child will know exactly what a balanced plate of food looks like. But that doesn't always mean that they're going to follow these sort of um, stipulations and I think that what really distinguishes Gen Z is that they have a massive tendency towards treats and indulgences, and they don't seem to really hold themselves back. Um, we took a look at a survey from Y-Pulse, which basically revealed that in the US, um, the favorite food brands for Gen Z, well, the top favorite is Oreo, and that's followed by Doritos, Pop-Tarts, and Tostitos. Um, and equally, they love fast food. Um, so McDonald's was a clear winner as their favorite restaurant to visit. And this was followed by Taco Bell, Wendy's, and Burger King. Um, so, you know, they're, so they're massive fast food fans. <clears throat> so this is interesting because on the one hand, we have this, you know, amazing... Uh, diversity of, of interest in food and these new kind of experimental ideas. On the other hand, you have, you know, a, a, a huge uh, love of fast food and, and things like Oreos. So where exactly are these two things meeting? How are they meeting? Um, you know, wh where, what particular drivers are pushing um, Gen Z sort of away from fast food towards more interesting and experimental stuff? <clears throat> well, I think it's definitely social media. It's sort of really kind of what they're seeing digitally and online is really influencing um, their sort of food passions. And, and really, food is more than a passion. It's actually a hobby for them. It, it's actually a form of, you know, Mandy and I, we discussed this, but it's also a form of currency that... Um, and badging to sort of say that, you know, 
look look at what I'm doing, look what I know about, look what I can look what I've been eating. Aren't I cultured? Aren't I cool? So I think there's a lot of that going on. And the most interesting thing is actually some of these kids don't have tons of money, but they don't mind splurging their money on 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 this stuff. Um, and actually, to sort of highlight um, Mandy's point about. Um, their food tastes, they're so paradoxical. So they are also um, really into things like um, keto is an, is the top food trend they're into, vegan and flexitarian, avocados are massive. Oh, they love avocados. <laughs> We've got a really funny stat that says Gen Z is currently consuming 226% more avocados per annum than millennials. And that's really saying something, yeah. isn't it? So um, watch the water tables yeah. in, around uh, avocado plantations. I think they just they have so much uh, choice at their disposal at the moment. If you look at our average high street <coughs> or any choices in a shopping mall, it's so much more than you know Gen X would have grown up with, for example. You can have everything from sushi to shakshuka to poke in a week and they don't even have to think twice about it it's just taken for granted that they've got the globe really at their fingertips and on their plates and I think this is um, created a more sort of relaxed mm-hmm. um, feeling towards yeah. food and towards being experimental and allows them space to indulge as well yeah, I think I think it's a very creative approach because they don't have the hang-ups about, oh, this is unhealthy or this is healthy. I think they just see it as like a palette of, well, well, today I want pizza and later on I want rolled ice cream, but tomorrow I'm going to go vegan. So I think it's that's the attitude they have that I think makes it kind of in, really interesting and fascinating, but also, you know, quite confusing as mm. well to unpick. Veganism is uh, really attracting this group as well. Um, You know, we know that they think it's more cool to be vegan than to smoke, for example. Um, And, you know, I still sort of think there's a bit of an education piece that's missing because a lot of the new age vegans of today aren't really doing it for the right reasons. Just because you're vegan doesn't mean it's going to be healthy, and just yeah. because you're being vegan doesn't mean you're going to be saving the planet at the same time. So I think there's definitely room for more knowledge amongst this group of, you know, really building up true motivations that will impact their diets. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, generally, do you think there's a, there's, there's a role here for brands in engaging this group in terms of um, tapping into that desire for self-optimization, for education, for knowing more, um, you know, authentic s- facts about this kind of stuff? Definitely. I mean, they are the ones, even though a lot of them don't hold the spending power in their families, it's still their parents who are funding them, really. They are very influential and they're impacting the grocery spend, holidays, travel, dinners, um, whether it's, you know, implicitly or not. Yeah. Um, their opinions are very strong. And so I think we need to make sure that they've got the knowledge to back that up. Yeah. And I also think it's what's also worth um, bearing in mind as well is that all these things that we sort of seem fairly niche, like gluten-free, organic, um, for them are table stakes. They expect that and they will be expecting that. But I think it's also... um, but the healthy element is still really important to them. So yes, they may want sort of fall into sort of gourmet trash junk food, but they're still interested in their health and particularly the way they look, because again, it's social media presence. So that is another driving factor. 
I think that's a really good point. You know, things like fair trade and organic, they can take for granted. They haven't had to fight for those labels and those accreditations. That's just there, and mm-hmm. if they want it, they buy it. Yeah. Whereas the generations before have had to really shout about it and make sure that that is part of our food mm. offering. Yeah. So what about booze then? Because I'm hearing a lot about the fact that this generation is uh, very moderate when it comes to alcohol. Is that is that what you're seeing? Yes. I mean, the stats certainly tell us so. So you know, not all of Gen Z can drink yet. They're not of age. But we know that they're drinking 20% less than millennials who in turn are drinking less than the generation before them and before them and so on and so forth. So every generation we're seeing a decline, um, which is really interesting. Um, and I think the health piece is obviously coming into play here. Um, they they want to be more moderate. They're quite a hardworking and driven and determined generation. So getting wasted several times a week isn't really going to help them the next day when they have to go to a lecture or, go, you know, go to work. Um, I think that would sort of impede on their ambitions and their motivations. Yeah, and we've done actually some really great projects um, and advisory around around what's driving this um, for sort of um, in terms of um, alcohol and beverages um, clients. And what's really fascinating is actually, again, it's social media. They don't want to be sort of caught sort of, you know, looking a fool. You know, they feel they are under surveillance. And actually the sort of getting drunk and making a fool out of yourself is no longer the mark of a good time. So there's this sort of hashtag of anxiety, and they don't want to have the sort of next day of the headaches, the drowsiness. Um, it's it's kind of not seen as cool. So what's really interesting is how there are so many sort of new beverages popping up. Um, and there are things like sort of being sober curious, which is really becoming popular but it's that idea about being woke about being really kind of alive and in the moment um the other thing as well is let's not forget that for religious reasons people um aren't drinking alcohol but they still want to be part of the social mix enjoy beverages in a way where there's that conviviality there's the ritual there's a performance so that's also another driving factor I mean, we've seen brands really respond to this with some fantastic yes, I was say, initiatives. Must be a big opportunity here. I mean, at the latest uh, alcohol trade show that was a couple of weeks ago in London, it's called Imbibe Live, and it takes place every year. This was the first time that we saw the majority of really exciting and exceptional drinks were of the no alcohol variety. Um, so we, rep- we reported mainly on those, which was yeah. very interesting for an alcohol yeah. roundup. Um, and we saw everything from 0% vodkas to rums and gins. Uh, there was one product that we really liked. It was called Three Spirit, and it's a plant-based drink. And it's got adapt gins like Lion's Mane and Holy mm-hmm. Basil and Cacao. And it's all these exciting sort of new luxury ingredients that I think provide an interesting talking point for Gen Z and, and make a really Instagrammable moment for them as well. Um, you know, they're about uplifting, positive, clean ingredients that, as Stephen said, aren't going to make you feel really low when you wake up the next morning. And they're actually, they're natural uppers. So the nootropics are, stimulate the brain. So they kind of give you that wonderful uplift, but without the sort of the lag of, you know, 
having your liver sort of being fried the next day. And what's re- another really interesting point as well, actually, um, Gen Z really are pushing, and millennials also, um, the drive for or wanting these drinks at home and in restaurants, again, is growing massively, particularly in restaurants. So the restaurant scene, they don't want to be slumbered with a boring old water. You know, give me something, give me an interesting, fascinating cocktail. And this sort of message, I think, is being driven you know, driven home from a really young age. We've got um, the UK's Girl Guiding Association, which now gives its uh, members a badge for mixology. Obviously, it's not non-alcoholic mixology, but one of their tasks is to set about creating the the most wonderful cocktail um, full of juices and botanicals, and then they host their own party and everyone enjoys their cocktail. But what's really interesting is that they're being badged and awarded for this sort of behaviour and, you know, the style of hosting, which they'll probably adopt as they, you know, grow and continue. Well, let's talk a bit about hosting and cooking, especially. Um, I mean, I, we, we've written on Stylus about the, the impact of things like BuzzFeed's Tasty, which is now more popular than the actual BuzzFeed site in terms of driving more interest in, in, in cooking at home. Um, are Gen Z getting into cooking? Are they competent in the kitchen? I think what's really fascinating with Gen Z is they're really starting to rip the rule book up. I think because they've basically grown up online, they can access information um, wherever. And rather than the sort of old school of going to go to a recipe book and follow a recipe, what they're doing is, oh, I like the look of that. And then they're creating it. So I think it's going to create a whole new breed of cooks that are actually intuitive, but almost like a back-to-front way. So um, they're very creative and experimental as well. So um, yet, paradoxically, they're also quite conservative with their taste. So it may be within the realms of, you know, pizza or plant burgers or something like that. But they still um, they still are going to be influenced very much by what they see rather than reading recipes in a book. Um, We've got, I mean, it's quite a contradictory situation in a way, and I think this expands wider than Gen Z as well in that some of the the data tells us that people aren't cooking anymore and no one's eating home-cooked meals and the kitchen is dead. And then on the other hand, they're saying that people are cooking more than ever. And I think how we can reconcile these two points of view is that cooking by nature has changed. It's not really about scratch cooking anymore. It's about taking shortcuts and this generation is absolutely no exception to that. They want to do things really fast. They want instant gratification. Um, they're happy to have a snack as a meal. They might just, you know, sort of soup it up and make it a bit more exciting by putting a chili sauce in and stirring that through or putting a poached egg on top of a noodle dish. Something really simple, mm. but that's going to make them feel yeah, accomplished in the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing as well, the other thing that's really key to their tastes and I think what's going to drive their cooking experiences is they're very keen to know how it's grown, how it's made and who made it. So for them, that transparency is really important. Yeah, I was going to mention this, just going back to your point about avocados. Um, and obviously, we know that there's quite a big environmental impact when it comes to growing avocados. So is this a generation that's aware of these issues, that is interested in sustainability and bringing that into their their food preferences? Yes. I mean, we, we know that um, 60% of them do want to change the world. 
they have a positive outlook, they want to make a difference. Whether that translates on a daily basis, not so sure. Um, if I was to pinpoint one issue that relates to food and sustainability, it would be animal welfare. That is the number one concern for this group. They have absolutely you know, no sort of threshold for any brands that are not actively demonstrating that they're kind to the environment and kind to animals. So food and drink brands really need to get this right. And that obviously will expand onto beauty and fashion and material development as well. That is critical. Um, I just want, I did want to ask one final question. Mm -hmm. You, Stephen, you um, won MasterChef yes. in 2007. Seven. <laughs> so if you were... If you were doing that now, today, in 2019, would mm -hmm. you be cooking differently because of these things that you... Oh, absolutely. Yeah? I mean, I think when I look back, um, gosh, a long time ago, but no, I think my influences would have massively changed. And I think it's also the simplification. I think my both my influences plus my tastes have changed massively. And I think I'm less scared of the sort of haughty restaurant the very French, you know, sort of school of perfection and sources and that gastronomy world doesn't phase me like it did. Like it was sort of, I put it up on a pedestal. And I think now I'm in a, I've got a much more relaxed, um, much more multicultural and I'm less hung up on, oh, it has to be Egyptian or it has to be this. I'm not a slave to ingredients. I'll, I'll use what I find. But... The thing that hasn't changed is care for and quality for ingredients. So for me, that's the utmost, most important thing. But um, that's where I've definitely changed. Great. Well, I look forward to trying some moon milk and bubble waffles in the future. <laughs> um, thank you very much. That was a fascinating insight into Gen Z's food preferences. I'd like to thank my guests, Stephen Wallace and Mandy Savin. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.